Yesterday, we marked, we noted the 76th anniversary of D-Day, the landing of Allied troops on the shores of Normandy to begin the liberation of continental Europe from Nazi tyranny. It's an amazing day that the story has been told over and over and over again. Real quickly, I want to show you something. Our family had a chance to actually go to Normandy a few years ago. We got a picture of the Richards there on the beach at Normandy. Now, Emily told me not to show this picture because it looks like she's mad that she has to tour with her father through historical battlegrounds. What's going on here, it was actually right about this time of year that we were there, and it was cold. It was so cold out on that beach in June, or May, like the end of May, beginning of June. I know those of us who grow up in the, in the South, we can't even imagine that, but that's going on. Now, the gentleman who is there leading our tour is General Graham Hollins. General Hollins was a career Royal Army officer who retired with his wife to the shores of Normandy and now leads tours across the Normandy Peninsula to help people see that area where this liberation actually began. He was a phenomenal tour, a phenomenal host. We had so much fun driving around and, and listening to him. And I, and I did actually ask our kids at the end of it, what did you think about it? And they go, Dad, I was shocked. That was cool. So I just thought I'd pass that on. Emily didn't stay miserable. It was just like that one little moment because it was so cold. But if you've, the, the picture that we're, that's taken here, we're standing on Utah Beach, the beach that Easy Company landed on, the, the, the group of soldiers that were detailed in the book and then the miniseries Band of Brothers. This was the actual beach that they landed on on June the 6th, 1944. And we're here listening to Graham tell facts and figures and the story of D-Day. But I thought it would be important to let you know when you stand on that beach, there's, there's something that happens. When you're standing there and the, the wind is coming off of the English Channel in your face and you feel that, that cold air and you, we, I'll actually walk down and touch the water. The water was colder than the air. And I couldn't help but think about what it had to have been like for those troops that were coming across the channel from England in those, in those boats that had the tailgates that dropped down and they had to unload and wade through the waves onto Utah Beach. There's actually, I wanna show you a picture of what was actually going on on D-Day. This is what they faced on that day, 76 years ago. I went back and did some homework. The average age of the Allied troops on D-Day who commenced the assault was 20 years old. I want you to think about that as we celebrate high school graduates today, 20 years old, the gate goes down, you jump in the water, it's freezing cold, and then you've got to get across the beach. But that was what it took to begin to push back, to push back Nazi tyranny. It's an amazing, amazing moment to see and to smell that, that salt air personally and to, to have been there. And when you walk on the beach of Utah Beach, you realize that it is indeed sacred ground. This is where men gave their lives to 
accomplish, to achieve freedom for a continent and for a people. And as I thought about that, I couldn't help but think about the passage of scripture that we picked up last week as kind of the the thread and the theme that we're taking through the next few weeks as a church family in this teaching series, this, this statement that Jesus makes that is so powerful, so pertinent, and so relevant to where we are. It's in Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I thought about this scene there in Normandy. I, I thought about the fact that, that they had to go make peace. They had to go make peace. And I, I couldn't help but think about the, the stakes involved in that. In the planning of the D-Day invasion, General Eisenhower, the British generals, and others, Canadian, Australian, and others, assumed 50% casualties. Now, casualties means wounded, killed, but 50% of 156,000 men who would participate in this landing. And I thought about the incredible weight of that. But of course, we know with the benefit of history and hindsight that it was worth it. We know that it was worth what they did and that Hitler and Germany and tyranny was indeed pushed back and the French people the Belgian people, the Czech people, and on and on that had been subjugated to Hitler's tyranny were in fact brought home. That, that it was that, that massive welcome home. And, and I think it's one thing if you get to visit somebody's home, but isn't it another if you've been home, been expelled from your home, and then come back home? That is what was going on. And, and I think it's actually an incredible parallel for what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter five, verse nine. As we talked about last week, we picked up this idea that the peacemakers are blessed and they will be called children of God. And we, we really took a deep dive on this word shalom. Just by way of review, or maybe if you're here for the first time or tuning in online first, for the first time, shalom is not just the absence of conflict, it is the intentional cultivation of completeness. It's the intentional cultivation of completeness. Now, I want to take a second and talk about that word blessed. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, because that word blessed or blessed is one like peace doesn't really do full justice to what Jesus was saying. And as a matter of fact, as I began preparing for this series and studying I discovered something new about this that I had never known, I had never heard or seen before. Seminary, 25 years of preaching, 30 years of ministry, I had never heard this. Now, the word blessed in the English is, is a decent translation, it's good, it's about as close as we can get, but in the original Greek, in the Aramaic that Jesus would have spoken, and then in the Greek that the New Testament was written in, a better translation for this word would be happy, happy. So I want you to right now turn to your neighbor in here or at home and tell him, get your happy on. Get your happy. I don't know if you really meant that or not. <laughs> get your happy on. Now I've said before, and I've, I've owned this before. I used to preach something that I later was convicted of being wrong. I, you may have heard me say before, God doesn't want you to be happy. 
and he wants you to be holy. And that's true. He, we are called as followers of Christ to be holy because he is holy. He is in the process of sanctifying us, of working on our character, on our hearts, on our lives. But I've realized that, that God actually does care that you're happy. He does, in fact, want you, he wants me to be happy. But it's a, it's a brand of happy that you and I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. Some of you know that I have a fairly young dog, Gus. And Gus, of all the dogs that we've ever had, Julie will tell you, it, of all of the dogs we have ever had, Gus has the sweetest personality and disposition. He's the easiest of all of our 13 dogs that we have at home right now. I'm just kidding, it's not that many, but sometimes it seems like that. He's just easygoing. I have to just kind of look at him. If he does something that he shouldn't do, I just kind of go, Gus. And I've never hurt the dog, harmed the dog or what. That's just his personality, his spirit. And like one-time correction, and he is totally fine. It's exactly like Emily and Joe. It's weird. But <laughs> when it comes time to play, when, it, when I pull out a retrieving dummy for him to retrieve, he snaps into a different gear. He becomes an all-American middle linebacker. I mean, he will run through walls to retrieve. And it's like just watching him come alive. And, and the first time I saw it, I was like, where is my dog and what have you done with him? It was like something I'd never seen in his personality before. But what I've realized is, this is exactly what Gus was born for. He's a Labrador retriever. He was born to this. And so when he's doing what he was born for, man, he is in it to win it. And it is absolutely the most fun thing to watch him do that. Now, I want to remind you, Gus is a dog. As a dad, when I see Emily or Joe doing what they were born to do, when I see them, when I see Emily and Joe step more fully into who God created them to be, Parents of the graduates, you know what I'm talking about. When you see your kid who's no longer a kid, mm, there's nothing like it in the world. You're just kind of like, whoa, go, go, go. The word blessed that Jesus uses here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. In the original language, Jesus's audience would have heard him say, at peace, at shalom, are the peacemakers. It's not just happy, it is complete. It is actually flourishing. You, you are, if you are a peacemaker, you are shaloming. Personally, you, you receive the peace that passes all understanding when you are making shalom. So, so Jesus is is really repeating himself thematically here. He's, he's talking about flourishing. Flourishing is the big deal. What he's saying is flourishing, shaloming, are the shalom makers. Shaloming are the shalom makers. He's saying if you want to be full and complete, then you make peace. You become an agent for peace in a fallen and broken and hurting world. He's saying, he's saying here that shalom 
is the means and the ends of God's purposes in our lives. Shalom is the means and the ends of God in our lives. This is what we're working toward, but this is also how we get there, to be peacemakers. And to get at this, I wanna go back to the Old Testament. I wanna go back to Isaiah chapter nine. If you've got your Bible or maybe your phone or iPad or however you look up scripture, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, is a passage of scripture that we usually trot out around Christmas, and you'll see why in just a second. But there's also an incredible insight into this this idea of shaloming, of shalom as a verb, that, that you're living it out, that you are making peace in and through your life in this world. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six says this, for a child, is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And yeah, you can go ahead and do the translation. When it says Prince of Peace, it is the Prince of Shalom the prince of completeness and wholeness. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the means of shalom. He is the one who brings shalom to this world. He is the means and the ends. He is is the vehicle and the destination. He is the one who makes shalom even remotely possible in this world. And so it is imperative that we understand when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's kind of bookending his own existence. He's explaining to us who he is as well as calling us to participate and to collaborate with him. He is the journey and the destination. He is the motive, he's why we do it, but he's also the means by which we do it. He said in Revelation chapter 22 that he is the alpha and the omega. That means that he's A to Z, he's the beginning, he is the end. Which begs this question, what's in the middle? I want you to look at your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm because you're fired up to be back in the house and you're fired up to be watching online. Tell him, you're the middle. You are the middle. You're the middle. Jesus is Alpha and Omega. He has called us. He allows us to be the middle, to be the peacemakers in this world. Now, how in the world do we do that? Well, he's told us right there in Isaiah chapter number nine. He says that he's called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. So if he's the wonderful counselor, it's imperative that you and I walk in wisdom. Everybody say that. Walk in wisdom. One, two, three. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Another time in the Bible, the Bible says this. I didn't make this up. The Bible says, don't be a fool. Tell your neighbor now like you mean it with a smile on your face. Don't be a fool. 
Walk in wisdom. I'm going to give you something to, to pray on, something to chew on this week, okay? Don't, don't go there right now, but just James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. James 1, 5 through 8. You want to walk in wisdom, start with James 1, 5 through 8. Then he is called the mighty God. He's the wonderful counselor, so we walk in wisdom. He is the mighty God, so we pray in power. Pray in power. <clears throat> now, what is it that is exactly our power? Think about that for a second. We're promised, like the verse that we sang earlier today, resurrection power. What is our power? Real quickly, I'm gonna go, if you can get there in a hurry, fine, but we're not gonna put it on the screen. Romans chapter number eight. Romans chapter number eight. Our power, our power is the love of God. This is what God says in Romans eight. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Paul knows what he's talking about because he's about to be martyred for the cause of Christ. He says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is who we worship. This is our power. Man, I don't know about you, but over the last, I don't know, three months, anybody felt powerless? I'm just curious. Anybody, anybody feel like, what in the world is going on? When we remember the fact that God's love is real and active. It allows us to pray in power. It allows us to come back to him. This is something to pray over and to internalize this week. Maybe this afternoon, pray in power. Then he says he is the everlasting father. Now, when God is referred to as the everlasting father, That is a good, good father. That's a good father. That's one who loves unconditionally and eternally. That's one that we can count on, that we can rely on. He is our example, he is our model. So because he is our everlasting father, we lead in love. We lead in love. We, we live lives that reflect his glory and goodness in the way that we treat each other and the way that we point people toward him. We, we've said for 
a long, long time around here that our purpose as a church is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. Well done. But the primary way that we do that is through our lives. We lead in love. We lead in love. In Matthew chapter 20, this is something else for later reference. In Matthew chapter 20, two of Jesus' disciples are, are walking along the road one day when all of a sudden they see their mother come up. Have you ever seen your mom in an unexpected situation? Like, like maybe your mom came to your school one day unannounced, and you're like, hey, mom, hey, what's you doing? Well, I, I can't help but think that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, had to be thinking this as they saw their mother approach Jesus. And she approached Jesus with a request. You gotta love the love of a mom. She asked Jesus, she said, Lord, may my sons sit at your left and your right. May my sons have the places of honor next to you. Don't you know James and John were just like, oh my, she did not just do that. We're gonna sit back here behind Peter and Judas. This is unbelievable. And Jesus lovingly rebukes James and John's mom. He says, you don't understand what you're asking. You see, where I'm going, no mother would ever want their children to go with. You see, in order to be the first, you have to first be the last. To be the leader, you have to be a slave, Jesus said. You, you, have to, you have to serve in order to lead in this new kingdom economy. You, you have to lead in love. You have to lead in love. But then that last phrase in Isaiah chapter 9, it, it calls Jesus prophesying before he ever walked on the face of the earth but after he had created the face of the earth. It says that he will be called the prince of peace. So <clears throat> what that means is those of us who follow him should be people who shalom. We are peacemakers. We shalom in this world. The word shalom is unique in the Hebrew language. You can use it as a noun. You can use it as an adjective. You can use it as a verb. You can shalom. You, you can peace in this world. It's not just a, it's not just a concept. It, it's, it's something you do. This is our calling. This is who we're called to be. When you think welcome home, you think about being peacemakers, you, you realize that you're Shaloming, and as you are shaloming, you are yourself shalomed. But you must walk in wisdom. You must pray in power. We don't get there on our own. I made the statement last week that you won't drift into peace. You have to pray. You have to engage relationally with God. You have to lead in love, and you must Shalom. I mentioned to you earlier the landings in Normandy on D-Day. There's a 
there's a note that General Dwight D. Eisenhower wrote prior to the launch from the shores of England across the English Channel into France. There's a note that he wrote as the supreme allied commander. And it's a note that as we read now, 76 years later, is chilling to consider what it would have looked like. I think we actually have a picture of the handwritten note that he wrote in pencil. He dated it July 5th because they had to cancel the launch because of weather and it went the next day. But this is what General Eisenhower wrote. Should the Allied landing fail? He said, our landings in the Cherbourg Havre area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold and I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based upon the best information available. The troops, the air and the Navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. Have you ever heard it said that it's lonely at the top? I can't imagine the weight that General Eisenhower carried as he gave the order for 156,000 20-year-olds can't imagine that weight that he carried, not knowing if it would work, by the way. We, we look at D-Day now and go, man, that was great. It started and there. They didn't know it was going to work. We know, we know that Jesus works. We know that Jesus wins we know the war has been won because he rose from the dead. This is what we know to be true. And, and it's funny because, you know that verse that we read at Christmas, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? Look at what it says in Isaiah 9, verse 7. Of the increase, remember the government will be upon his shoulders, Jesus. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Watch this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We sang it earlier. Our God will finish what he started. Our God will finish what he started. The author and the perfecter of our faith will see it through to completion. This is what Christ invites you into. It's what he has invited me into. He is Alpha, he is Omega, and you and I are the middle. We are sustained in him and by him. But he invites us to participate with him. But before we can participate, before we can collaborate with the Lord of hosts, the one who wins in the end, to help begin to win here and now, 
It starts when you follow him, when you choose to deliberately place your faith and your trust in him. He's already started the process. It was grace, amazing grace that made the initial overture. It, it, was, it was grace that knocked on your door. Maybe to have you come and worship here today, maybe to be online, but it was grace that made you aware, that made me aware that we need a savior. What? Savior. That means that one who saves, if he is our savior, what has he saved us from? If shalom is the means and the ends, then, then the opposite of that, what we are saved from is the absence of shalom. The absence of wholeness and completeness in and with God. I wanna ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, maybe even online, if you wanna begin, if you wanna to begin to taste the goodness of God, if you wanna to begin to experience that shalom, that completeness, that, that peace, then we invite you to pray. I wanna I want challenge you, if you've never taken that step, do it as God leads. Choose to step into a relationship with the vehicle of Shalom himself, the one who brings Shalom, the one who is Shalom. Just right where you are, pray something like this. Just silently talk to God and say, Jesus, I need you. I, I want this shalom. I want to be one who shaloms, one who is an agent of your purposes and your peace in this world. And so in this moment, I confess my sin to you. And I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that your death and your resurrection would be attributed to me. Make it count for me, Lord. And in exchange for your life, I will give you mine. I will trust you more than I trust myself. I will follow you from this moment forward. And I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. Very, very quickly, if you would, for just a moment, remain with your heads bowed. Even online, we, we bow our heads as a sign of reverence before God. But in this moment, as a church, I just wanna ask you, if that was your prayer, if you meant it, would you just quietly raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up for just a moment. And as you hold your hand up, I want you to know we're excited for you. 
And, and as a church, we honor this moment. We celebrate it with you and what is to come. As you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.